Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm your host, Khurram Shamim. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of today's podcast. As always, I appreciate the support and for you taking some time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Welcome to the, I guess, unofficial second season of the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I hope you guys were well over the break and the last time that I did have a podcast out. And I hope that you guys had a good uh, winter break, I guess, if you're in Canada, because we have a winter break here. And if you're not in Canada, I hope you had a good uh, winter break anyways. Uh, But regardless, uh, I am so excited to start uh, making episodes again. I'm uh, obviously, you know, I, I took a break to sort of prep some episodes and to just sort of have some time off myself. Uh, but I'm extremely excited to get back into it and to start releasing episodes again. Uh, and of course, obviously, to anyone that's listening, welcome back. And I hope that, uh, you know, I can give you guys another good podcasting experience. Uh, hopefully you guys can hear a better experience right now as well, because if you may have noticed or some of you may have already heard at least, uh, but I invested in a better mic for this season's podcasts, And so hopefully... Um, you guys can actually hear a, a better sound as well, because obviously with a podcast, uh, probably the most experienced part of it is the actual listening. So hopefully uh, my voice sounds much better this time around. My previous mic was, uh, let's just say, not that good. It was very, very bad, um, or at least compared to this one, hopefully, again, that sounds much better. Now, with that being said, I wanted to get right into today's uh, episode, which is going to focus on the question of what is a hate crime in Canada and how is it applied legally? And the reason that I wanted to focus on this episode or this topic, sorry, specifically was because we do know, and I've covered this in previous episodes, uh, which you can check in season one of the podcast, uh, but hate crimes have been rising in Canada. And, you know, due to recent events, I figured that it would be important to understand what a hate crime was within Canada. Because, you know, we're often told, uh, you know, what a hate crime is in terms of what we maybe perceive to be a hate crime. And yes, you know, there are things that maybe uh, in just sort of a general sense that we consider to be a hate crime. But really, you know, ultimately, the most important thing Uh, is what the law considers a hate crime. Because we can consider something a hate crime, but if the law doesn't consider it a hate crime, it's not going to get prosecuted as a hate crime. And so, therefore, I think it's important for us to at least first understand what is a hate crime within Canada. And by doing so, I hope to go into detail into the laws in Canada that actually cover hate crimes. And I'm sure some of you will be quite surprised when I actually do that, because contrary to popular belief, Canada's hate crime laws are very, or are somewhat complicated and aren't exactly what you think they are. And of course, I'll get into that in in a second. And, you know, I also want to, you know, make this clear. Um, I'm not a lawyer myself, so I'm not going to go into every legal definition and I'm not going to go into every legal concept that might deal with hate crimes or things that surround hate crimes. So please, you know, don't get upset at me if I get some legal definitions wrong or whatnot. I apologize for that. I'm going to try my best to give as much accurate information as possible. And also at the same time, again, I'm not a lawyer, so this is not in any way, and don't ever think of it as this way, but it is not legal advice. 
Anything that I say in this episode is not legal advice. Just to make sure there's not someone out there that thinks I'm giving them legal advice, this is not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. Don't take it as legal advice. And with that being said, I think the first thing that we need to first tackle is the question of what laws in Canada deal with hate crimes. And so because hate crimes generally are a criminal action, uh, or, well, they are a criminal action, but I guess maybe there is a bit of complexity to them, regardless, they are a criminal action in most circumstances. And so because of that, the federal government is the one that has the jurisdiction over criminal actions, so hate crimes fall under federal jurisdiction. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, provincial governments can't do anything about hate crimes. They actually can, because Most provinces, or at least I think most provinces, have some sort of human rights laws or human rights tribunals or some sort of, um, you know, rights within the province itself. So, for example, I believe Ontario has an Ontario Human Rights Tribunal. I I could be misquoting that, but essentially they deal with human rights issues within uh, Ontario itself. And so this might be something like maybe uh, discrimination uh, within a workplace, right? That's not necessarily maybe a criminal action. Someone isn't necessarily trying to criminally attack you uh, in the sense that they're not trying to physically assault you, but they're still committing maybe a, a hate crime or some sort of hate action towards you. And so that's where provinces may come in. Now, of course, again, if I mix that up, I apologize. But in terms of just criminal actions, the federal government is the one within Canada that deals with it because it comes under the Criminal Code of Canada. And so specifically within the Criminal Code of Canada, it is under Section 318, Section 319, and 320 that Canada defines its anti-hate crimes under three categories of what's called hate propaganda. And so it's not considered hate crimes. That's not the general branch that it's under. It's actually under a branch that's called hate propaganda. And from what I understand is that you could sort of look at this as an equivalent of uh, another branch that's something like assault. So, for example, there are multiple forms of assault. There might be something like physical assault. There could be sexual assault. There could be assault with like a weapon. There could be, you know, verbal assault. Uh, Although I don't know if verbal assault is maybe a, a crime in Canada. Probably... There's probably a specific wording for that, but, you know, verbal assault in general, if you threaten someone, obviously that can be a crime as well. And so hate propaganda is sort of in the same, uh, you know, area. It itself is a a branch of what is considered hate crimes in that there's no actual section that covers hate crimes, quote unquote, but it's actually referred to as hate propaganda. And, And I really want you guys to pay attention to that because some people, again, will think that there are hate crime laws, which is, I guess, technically true, but in reality, it's actually called hate propaganda laws. And the reason why this is important is because Section 318, 319, and 320 deal with hate propaganda, not hate crimes per se. And so just getting into it, Uh, to make it as easy as possible to understand, but Section 318, the first section under hate propaganda, deals with advocating genocide, and it reads, and I quote, every person, or sorry, this is Section 318, subsection 1, says every person who advocates or promotes genocide is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment, imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. 
And so Section 318 deals with people who advocate for the genocide or, you know, the elimination of certain people or groups or what have you. And so this deals specifically, and and again, this is very specific. This isn't just dealing with people who don't like others. This is dealing specifically with people who advocate genocide. And just looking at this, obviously, this section is pretty specific. It can't deal with someone who just opposes another. It would specifically deal with someone that advocates genocide. And as well as the section also details that the imprisonment cannot be more than five years, meaning that the imprisonment, the limit is five years. It must be between one, I assume at least one year they'd be in prison, to five years. And so that's something else to consider as well, right? If someone is advocating for genocide, is that is that long enough of a sentence? Is that too short of a sentence? Is that a good sentence? Like, is five years enough for someone who'd be advocating for genocide? Like, if you found out within your community that there was someone who was trying to say that all Muslims should die, do you think five years is enough of a sentence? I'm not so sure, but, you know, it's something maybe to consider, right? This is what it's about when it comes to understanding what are hate crimes. Advocating genocide is under that hate propaganda. Then, in the next section, it is section 319, which deals with the public incitement of hatred. And so there's uh, and so there's three main parts of it, and the first is section 319, subsection 1, which is everyone who, by communicating statements in any public place, incites hatred against any identifiable group where such incitement is likely to lead to a breach of the peace followed by subsection 2, which says, everyone who, by communicating statements other than in private conversation, willfully promotes hatred against any identifiable group. And then followed lastly by subsection 3, which says, the defense to these accusations is to prove that the comments were true in good faith for public interest or in good faith in terms of the purpose of removal of such, uh, you know, of hate crimes. So, for example, uh, the good faith, uh, I actually think I repeated that twice, but good faith essentially means, uh, for example, if you were to post to highlight, you know, uh, this person promoted hate crimes, you yourself can't be arrested for promoting hate crimes because you're not actually posting about, you know, uh, about hate content. You're trying to highlight that someone else is posting hate content. So that's one of those things where good faith comes in because you're doing it in good faith. And so really just looking over section 319, the public incitement of hatred, I think that there's, you know, some really important things that you notice. Number one, it says public incitement because obviously, you know, I guess to a degree, you can only really arrest someone if they're publicly inciting hatred. And, you know, I guess that's something where it makes sense, obviously, because, you know, that that you can't really arrest someone for private conversations, which it actually highlights in subsection two, it says that other than in private conversation, which really means that, yes, you know, technically speaking, someone could promote, you know, hate speech or, you know, public incitement of, or sorry, the incitement of hatred within private conversation. And technically speaking, 
I guess you could say that there's not much the law can do because that is private conversation. While on the other hand, if they make it publicly, you know, it can be something that they can be arrested for. But I think the question that I would then ask is, what exactly does it mean by the public incitement of hatred? You know, so for example, social media, for example, someone posts on social media, that is considered public, right? But if it were something like a private group, then it is a private group or is that a public place? You get what I'm saying? Like, you can say what you want. Like, if someone tweets out, you know, we should kill all, you know, Muslims and, and, you know, black people or something. Obviously, you know, that's, in my opinion, that's a public place because I would assume that you would consider something like Twitter a public place. But if someone was in, for example, uh, Instagram group chat or a, you know, Facebook group chat or whatever, you know, WhatsApp group chat, whatever have you, and they were putting out ideas like this, is that still considered a public place or is that a private place? I'm sure there's been cases that have dealt with this, but of course I didn't have time to go through all the case law. But regardless, you know, it's something that I think is an important question to ask, right? And for maybe us to really look into is how has Canadian law dealt with that? And are we accepting of the way that the Canadian law may have dealt with that? And then of course, lastly, you know, the subsection three where it talks about how the defense to these accusations is to prove that the comments were either true, they were done in good faith, or they were for public interest. And I think that's really interesting as well. Like, comments were true. So I assume this means that you have to actually factually prove something. Now, this is where sometimes I I question, because, you know, someone can factually prove that, for example, people of color are, you know, bad for society because they often bring crime and, you know, maybe poverty or whatnot. But when you actually look under the details, you realize that that's usually because a lot of people of color are immigrants who were basically thrown into the poorest and most impoverished societies or in societies where there hasn't been as much investment into things like education or, you know, uh, the economy or even just social uh, services which often the lack of these things will lead to people ending up, you know, in high crime situations, right? So that's where I kind of, I, I wonder, you know, what does it mean when it say the comments were true? Because you can really take any data or any set of information and skew it to make something that, you know, you believe in, right? Like I, I can take any data and make it sound like whatever I want, because all it really matters is how that data was sampled and whatnot. So I really do wonder how have the courts kind of ruled on when it comes to the comments were true. And then, of course, in good faith, I already, ex- I already explained. And then public interest, I think that's also interesting. Like, what is public interest? Uh, how would that be used? I guess there's really no way you could probably justify, you know, the public interest in, in a hate crime, right? You know, again, when it comes to something like maybe hate speech, If someone is saying, you know, we need to ban the niqab or something like that or ban the hijab because it's barbaric or whatnot, because that was, of course, something that did actually happen within Canada at one point, is that done, you know, for public interest, right? Like, look at, uh, what's the bill? Um, Bill, is it Bill 21, the hijab bill, I guess? Or or not the hijab bill, the the quote-unquote secular bill within Quebec, right? Like, is that done for public interest? Uh, Is it within public interest to see that, you know, the niqab or the hijab is banned? And and of course, I'm not saying that the bill itself is a hate crime, 
But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, there are ways, in my opinion, that you can get around that idea of what is a public interest. Because I feel as if you can justify some racist or maybe hate-motivated actions, or I should say maybe discriminatory actions, to say, well, it's for the public interest. Because that's pretty much what, you know, the, the premier of Quebec uh, has basically said, right? It's for public interest. And so, you know, I think maybe there's a question, you know, what is this thing that's called public interest and how has it been applied? That's something that, again, you know, I feel like there needs to be maybe more of a, a discussion as to how has that actually been justified or applied within uh, the courts in Canada. And then lastly, uh, within the uh, three sections, there's section 320, which is about the warrant of seizure and the removal of hate content. And, and this one's really straightforward. What it says is that essentially, if a judge rules that certain thing is hate content, then what they can do is they can seize the content and destroy it, right? Or they can remove it from society. And so this was basically, this, this is one part of the criminal code or, or the, you know, the hate propaganda sections where I kind of view it as understandable, but also outdated. And the reason why I think it's outdated is because, you know, I, I believe originally that when this, uh, you know, these three sections were passed, uh, it must have been, you know, I think, I don't know when like the three sections were actually passed, but I assume they must have been done before probably the digital age. And the reason I say that is because the warrant of seizure of property, right, would make sense if someone is promoting hate crime through something like a poster or, you know, a brochure or, or a book, right? That makes sense. If someone writes a book that says we should kill all black people, right? Yeah, you can use Section 320 and you can seize it and then, you know, you can take the content and destroy it. But the question becomes more complicated now in the digital age because of social media. I mean, we've already seen through stuff like the Quebec mosque attack, the New Zealand mosque attack, and, uh, you know, the London terror attack, that the people who are radicalizing others, they're not doing it through books anymore. They're doing it through social media. So how exactly do you remove hateful content if there's no actual physical content to remove, right? How does that work now? And I wonder if, you know, Section 320, does it even apply anymore? Does it, is it even a thing? Because it seems just so outdated to, to some degree, because really there is no physical content to remove anymore. And really, you know, I, I think that when you kind of take a step back and, and look at these three sections that deal with hate propaganda, you kind of figure out that uh, in general, Canada doesn't actually have hate crime laws, right? Like, we don't actually have any laws that specifically deal with hate crimes. What the hate propaganda laws deal with is, number one, you know, uh, advocating genocide. So we don't allow the advocation for genocide. And then number two, we prevent the public incitement of hatred. But that doesn't necessarily deal with hate crimes specifically, right? So if someone, for example, walks by you and says, you know, go home, you, you know, blank, blank right? Um, that's, I guess, uh, you know, harassment, but it's not necessarily a hate crime specifically, right? Now, our focus, at least in Canada, 
And again, this may be a surprise to some of you, but it's actually more about the limitation of producing the content uh, that can lead to the hate crimes or the hateful content. It's not actually about the hate crime itself. There, there is no actual single crime, uh, at least technically speaking, that is called a hate crime. But instead, it's a combination of actions that can be considered a hate crime, right? And, th- and this is where, you know, when they're actually applying the laws, police will actually have a consideration as to whether something was a hate-motivated crime. And so that's why sometimes you can have these like news reports or, you know, these, uh, you know, these incidents where the person will say, oh, well, that was a hate crime. But then the police are actually the ones who have to decide whether or not it was a hate crime and to apply any of sort of like hate crime charges against the accused. And then in addition, you know, if a person is assaulted, then the crime can be uh, actually uh, assault rather than a hate crime, which can carry a bigger penalty depending on the circumstances. So for example, I talked about, you know, some of the penalties for, uh, you know, advocating genocide, for example, which would not be something that would be, uh, I guess, a part of if you were being assault, if you were being charged with assault. Um, But if you were charged with advocating genocide, the limit on your sentence at max is five years, where with assault, it could actually technically be higher, although I'm not 100% sure of that. I actually don't know how long exactly, you know, an assault, uh, you know, uh, the length of an assault um, charge can be. But even then, you know, there are different layers to assault as well that that can come into factor uh, when it matters uh, when someone is being charged. And, you know, I I think I I understand maybe the rationality of saying that, you know, certain things may not be considered hate crimes and whatnot because, you know, they're actually an assault or whatnot. But I kind of don't understand it as well because, you know, most hate incidents are tracked as hate-motivated incidents as opposed to hate crimes, right? And because our crimes just focus on the disruption of society or or the peace within society, they don't properly track what are hate crimes. So for example, you know, someone could uh, be assaulting a person of color or a minority because they have these beliefs uh, that, you know, they think that, you know, these people are, you know, if they hate black people or brown people, whatever, And so if they start assaulting people because of that, they'd be charged with assault. But you should ask yourself, why are they assaulting people, right? Like, why are they assaulting someone? If if there's two individuals and they got into an argument and then they started assaulting each other or they started attacking or one of them attacked, whatever, that's assault for the reason of, you know, assault. But if someone is assaulting another person because they, you know, hate them because of their skin color or their background, why shouldn't we include that, uh, you know, as a hate crime as well, right? Like, again, like the problem that I'm really trying to say is when it comes to tracking how many hate crimes happen within Canada, my problem with some of these crimes not being considered hate crimes is because of the fact that it misrepresents how many hate crimes are happening within Canada. And because our hate crime laws focus primarily on the propaganda or the distribution of content that leads to hate crimes, you are missing and not properly charging people who might be assaulting others because of hateful ideas, right? And so then when it comes down to something like policy decisions, 
because this is the real life impact of not properly counting hate crimes. When it comes to counting them and making policy decisions, I'm sure there'll be bureaucrats or whatnot that'll look up the statistics. They'll see, you know what? There wasn't even that many hate crimes committed. Well, yeah, because we're not properly counting them in the first place. Right? So, like, it's almost as if, you know, the, the, the whole system, in a, in a sense, okay, maybe not the whole system, maybe that's, that's I'll take that one back, that, that's a bit too broad there, but, you know, there's parts of the system where you kind of think, like, they're not actually properly counting hate crimes, so when you have statistics about, like, you know, police reported hate crimes, like, you can already say some of these statistics don't matter, you're not even properly counting them, why should we care about these statistics? right? And, and I'll get into this later in the episode as well, but there's almost like this one sense where, uh, you know, police will report the hate crimes that they consider hate crimes, and then there's the actual amount of hate crimes within Canada. And I, 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 I've seen this in many, you know, NGOs and whatnot, where you see their statistics when it comes to hate crimes, and it's almost like double or triple the amount that you see the police report because the police underreport hate crimes. And, and I've said this before in previous episodes on Islamophobia and whatnot, but like that's a really big problem because the police are going to look at their own statistics and say, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Well, yeah, no, 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 no. It's a big deal. The big deal is you're not reporting it properly. And to me, that's something that's got to change. Like, seriously, that's got to change. That's got to be a policy point that politicians, the police, what have you, I don't care who you are, that has to change. You just can't let these hate crimes to go underreported by this much. Especially not because you would just consider stuff like assaults, you know, you would ignore the hate crime aspect to an assault. To me, again, this thing right here, like, it's got to change. Now, of course, another aspect that's important when dealing with a hate crime or what is classified as a hate crime within Canada is the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Now, for this episode, I guess I'm just going to sort of assume you guys are familiar with the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and sort of the general outlook of it. But, you know, for the most part, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is, of course very important when it comes to the consideration of what is a hate crime. And federal hate crime laws obviously must be balanced with the importance of something like the freedom of expression. And in fact, when a, you know, a, a police officer or, you know, the police in general are trying to apply uh, a hate crime law, um, they actually need the consent from the attorney general's office before charges can be laid, or at least that's what I've read. I, I hope that's accurate, or at least as accurate as possible. But uh, from what I've uh, researched and, and read is that they actually need the consent of the attorney general's office, who would then continue, um, you know, with the actual pr uh, prosecution of a person for hate crime laws. And that's mainly because of the fact that the government wants to balance hate crime laws with, uh, you know, the freedom of expression, because again, within Canada, people are allowed uh, to obviously express their ideas and their thoughts and beliefs. 
And so in case people uh, you know don't know, but in Canada we have what's called fundamental freedoms. And these are freedoms that are, you know, they are the basically the core of what is seen as Canadian society. And when the Canadian Charter was made, they were seen as basically the essentially important things uh, within Canada. And outside of the fundamental freedoms, there are the other freedoms, which are important, of course, but they're not considered fundamental in the same sense as fundamental freedoms are. So, for example, uh, mobility rights, which is a person's right to move wherever they want, right? Like between provinces or, you know, I don't know, through different roads and whatnot. It seems very, you know, trivial, but what it's essentially saying is, you know, you can't be limited in that right, right? You're allowed to move wherever you want and whatnot. And, you know, democratic rights, for example, are essential. Um, but, of course, there is a limitation where, for example, you have to be truthful, you have to, you know, properly identify yourself, you have to be over the age of 18, etc., etc. Um, but, you know, essentially, those are important rights, but they're not fundamental to every single person. Because if you're under the age of 18, obviously, then it's not as fundamental to you. With the fundamental freedoms, though, they apply to all people of all ages, of all backgrounds, regardless of who they are. And so I wanted to first go through quickly, very quickly, what the fundamental freedoms of Canada are so that we can get sort of an understanding of exactly where we stand with the Charter and hate crime laws. And so the fundamental freedoms of Canada are as follows. The freedom of conscience and religion. So basically, you know, the freedom of uh, believing religiously, at least, in what you want. Um, the freedom of thought, belief, and expression, which includes the freedom of the press and other media of communications. And so this is the one that's probably the most, I guess, uh, in, con in, in, in contrast. I don't know if that's the word I want to use. The one that's in most in conflict, let's say with some hate crime laws and can be in conflict with the application of hate crime laws. Um, then there's the freedom of peaceful assembly, meaning that you can peacefully assemble wherever you want. So basically you can protest wherever you want. And the freedom of association, meaning that you can associate with whoever you want. And, uh, you know, I guess the government can't tell you who you can and cannot associate with. So for example, if you wanted to associate with a, a Marxist-Leninist group that believes that communism should rule Canada, you're allowed to. And so that's something to also consider, right? Because it works the other way as well. If you want to associate with a far-right group that believes that immigrants are bad, you're allowed to, right? You're technically allowed to. Obviously, if you start saying that we should kill them, that's different. But if you just want to associate with them, you're allowed to. That's pretty much legal, I think. Or it should be. I think, I think it is pretty much legal. I don't think there's anything that the government can actually stop you from associating with a far-right group. Now, these fundamental freedoms can only be revoked or limited within what is called reasonable limits. And although using reasonable limits on fundamental freedoms is, you know, difficult, and it's not something that's easily done, uh, reasonable limits is what is sort of the bar when it comes to limiting any fundamental freedom. And so, for, for example, preventing genocide is a reasonable limit on the freedom of expression. Because obviously, 
We do not want people to advocate for the genocide of others. Duh. I don't even think that should be controversial. If that's controversial for you, uh, you know, well, you might be a Nazi then. No, <laughs> you might be a Nazi. If you think that's controversial, you're probably a Nazi. Sorry, but it's kind of the truth. So that's why, you know, you need to have a reasonable limit. And so that's why when it comes to the application of hate crime laws, legal, uh, you know, legal entities like the police need to be careful to make sure that they are not violating people's fundamental freedoms when it comes to something like hate crime laws. So for example, the freedom of thought, belief, and expression, if someone can justifiably argue something, then there's a question of, is this protected by the fundamental freedoms? For example, the freedom of association. Yes, we hate far-right groups. We really do. I hate far-right groups. You hate far-right groups. We all hate far-right groups. But we cannot ban far-right groups just like that. You know, people can associate with far-right groups. They can join Facebook groups because that's how they usually do it. They join a Facebook group because nothing, nothing is more terrifying than a Facebook group, apparently. But regardless, they join a Facebook group and they will, you know, spread their message and whatnot. And technically speaking, in Canada at least, from what I understand, that's legal. You're allowed to associate with a hate crime group, or sorry, a hate group. You're not, however, again, allowed to promote hate in itself, but you're allowed to actually associate. The freedom of peaceful assembly. You are allowed to protest. Uh, you know, you're allowed to protest against immigrants. Or, or a better example, one that's more with our modern times, people are allowed to protest vaccine mandates. They're totally allowed to do that. There's nothing that can stop you from doing that. You're totally allowed to do that. Again, as long as it's peaceful, the government isn't going to do anything about it. And that's all fundamental to Canada. And so really, you know, when we're trying to understand hate crimes or we're trying to understand, you know, what is accepted and what is denied within Canada, we need to take into consideration of what the Canadian Charter does. And I, and I hope that, you know, we can educate ourselves about the Charter as well, because it's important, not just so we know how hate crimes are applied, but so we know that if the government is ever trying to restrict our own freedoms, that we have you know, the, the understanding of how to counter that. Because, you know, there are things where we may believe or associate with, right, that the government may interfere with, that, you know, we should be uh, of an understanding to counter it, right? So it kind of works both ways, where we can understand how to apply hate crime laws or, you know, what may be considered a hate crime or not, but at the same time, how we can use the charter you know, as Canadian citizens for the benefit that it should bring us as Canadian citizens. And I think that now that sort of we have an understanding of what Canadian hate crime laws are, uh, and as well as sort of what the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms says about stuff like the fundamental freedoms, then we sort of have to ask ourselves, you know, what changes are needed within Canadian hate crime laws? You know, like, what is the actual changes that we need to see? Is it the law itself? Is it the reporting of the crimes? Is it maybe a problem with access to justice? So, you know, if people had better access to justice, there would be more reporting of the actual crimes, which would then lead to an improvement of the law itself. 
right? Like, so there's different avenues that maybe you can look at this. And I think that's really something where we need to really ask ourselves. And when we do hear these discussions about Canadian hate crime laws, I cannot emphasize enough that we really should be more vocal about it because we need to be honest here. And the Muslim community within Canada has been targeted. We've suffered a lot. And I've emphasized this in previous episodes. I'll keep emphasizing it right now. And I'll probably emphasize it in future episodes too. But we need to be vocal. We need to tell people, you know, how are we being impacted? And when things like, uh, you know, law reforms or whatnot come up, we should be be vocal then too. And, you know, recently, uh, you know, the Liberals, of course, proposed Bill C-36, or how it's better known as the Online Harms Bill, which would tackle online hate speech. And, and I'll talk about that uh, in next week's episode, but that is something that is one of the bigger major reforms that is happening right now. But of course, that only focuses on online harm. It doesn't focus on, you know, in-person harm or whatnot. So there's still some questions that I think need to be answered. Uh, but I will say that I did find a survey, and I think it was done... Uh, through Nanos, which is a a polling company, Uh, and I think it was CTV that published it or or reported on it, but from what I, I, you know, the main information that I gathered is that most Canadians actually do agree uh, that hate crimes or just hate speech in general uh, is a problem within Canada, and through the polling, 58% responded that it was a major problem within Canada. And I think that that's something that really we should take into consideration as well, is that, you know, it is time for the government to update our hate crime laws. It is time that they update to things that are more modern and more fitting of the situation that we find ourselves now. And it is not something that is just of a concern for minorities within Canada. It is something that I think a lot of Canadians are becoming more aware of, and it's something that we should make them more aware of as well. And, you know, just my own reflections on this, you know, what I'd like to see personally is that for one thing, that if an assault or harassment are what people are usually charged with, for example, when it comes to a hate crime, you know, I think that they should make it a distinction and add on hate crime when it's actually done as well. And and they may already do this, but to varying degrees. But I feel like, again, it's so important Uh, you know, to me, like personally, I think that counting crimes, uh, especially when it's used in, you know, policy application where it's mainly used because, again, when they are looking to make policies or decisions, they'll pay attention to how many, you know, reported crimes have actually occurred, not ones that, you know, may or may not have occurred. They'll look at what their numbers say. And so I think that really, if, you know, the, the, the government and the police services want to do a better job of countering hate crimes, they need to be honest about how many hate crimes are happening within Canada. You know, I I was looking through some statistics and the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, which is a, uh, you know, I believe they're an NGO or or a a charity. I don't know what they are. Maybe they're just an advocacy group, whatever they are. Um, they report on hate crimes, uh, uh, you know, in, in a more of a realistic fashion than the government does. And the Canadian Anti-Hate Network reported that, according to Statistics Canada, an estimated 223,000 self-reported cr- hate crimes occurred within Canada in 2019, compared to the 1,951 hate crimes that were recorded by the police 
in 2019. So that would mean that less than 1%, less than 1% of hate crimes were recorded in police data. So essentially, you know, Statistics Canada found that around 223,000 hate crimes were self-reported, but were self-reported hate crimes, right? And that the police didn't even get, you know, 10% or 5%. They only got 1% of those hate crimes. And like I mentioned before, it's because of the fact that the attorney general and the police will decide on whether something is a hate crime. Right? So even if you bring something that you think is a hate crime, the police will ultimately tell you whether or not it's a hate crime. And, and to me, like it's so evident based on these numbers and statistics that there is just sort of an underreporting by the police. And it's largely because the attorney general knows deep down, I mean, I don't know if they'd ever admit this, but I think really the realistic thing is, is that the laws are too weak to actually properly prosecute people who commit hate crimes. Because the laws in Canada don't focus on hate crime, they focus on hate propaganda. And so again, I can't emphasize enough that clearly there needs to be some reform, right? Like to me, that's the number one thing that I took away from this, is that the reform is kind of evident. I like the online hate crime, you know, focus. I understand that. There are issues with the online hate crime bill. But at the same time, the online hate crime bill obviously only focuses on online hate, which, again, that's important. That's definitely important. But there needs to be a a reforming of hate crime laws in general as well because, you know, (laughs) it doesn't fit what's actually happening. You can't have that much of a discrepancy between the actual self-reported hate crimes and the actual amount of hate crimes that were recorded by the police. I mean, imagine that was something like bank robberies or something like that, or assaults. Let's say there was 223,000 bank robberies that happened in Canada, right? But the police only recorded 1,951 of them. Like, that would be insane. You would say, excuse me, what are you doing? Like, there can't be that many you know, crimes that you just say, yeah, that's not a hate crime. 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 How can you do that? You know, you could say maybe, you know, oh, you know, maybe there's a few people that are making it up. It's, it's a hoax or whatever. Okay, fine. But are you trying to tell me that 99%, because that's essentially what happened here. The 1% were reported, but 99% were not reported. So they're essentially saying 99% of hate crimes aren't hate crimes. That doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. That just does not make any sense to me at all. You know, I just, I refuse to believe because that just does not make any sense to me at all. It's not possible. It's not possible that 99% of hate crimes are not considered hate crimes by the police. That to me is the most evident point where they need to reconsider What is a hate crime within Canada? And then on the other hand, you know, on the police as well, I really think that the fact that there is a lack of understanding within some people in society as to what a hate crime is, I think this is the perfect time, really, for the police to do outreach, not just community outreach, but also specifically outlining and helping people understand 
what is a hate crime and explaining to them what the police's perspectives are on what is a hate crime and what is not a hate crime. You know, I think the police need to do more to engage with the communities that they are, you know, that they uh, live side by side with and really let them understand how they apply hate crimes, right? Because I think that if people had a better understanding of hate crimes, in my opinion, that might increase to the amount of actual hate crimes that are reported. Because I think part of the problem is that people don't understand what hate crimes are and they go to the police to report a hate crime and the police will tell them that's not a hate crime by law, etc., etc. And so then that would, you know, that would sort of uh, dissuade the person from reporting other future hate crimes, right? Because for example, if you go to the police and you say, you know, this person assaulted me a hate crime and they say, oh, well, that's not really a hate crime, etc., etc. We can't really, you know, charge them. If it happens again, what are the chances you're going to go to them again? Like if, if the police already say no to you once, why would you go back to them? You would think, well, they're not going to help me, so I can't do that. I can't go to the police, right? So I, I think that the police need to be more active right now, right? I think it's something where they need to inform people more of what the law says. And there needs to be more of, a, uh, you know, of an informative stance that the police take as well when it comes to countering hate crimes. Telling people, what is actually a hate crime, it will be so beneficial to, to so many. And I think that really there needs to be more of a push for that, among other things. But again, those are just my you know, ideas, right? Of course, as always, I'd love to hear what you guys think. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. But I think it's something that for all of us to reflect on is how would we like to see changes within the hate crime laws within Canada but as well as what should be the next steps that the police and the Canadian government take. And I think that's something that we should really reflect on. And so, in conclusion, I'd like to conclude today's episode uh, right now uh, because I feel like we've covered quite a bit and I think that that's probably just as much as my voice can take um, and I don't think I can speak much more than this. So right now I'm going to have to end today's episode, uh, and I hope you guys did enjoy it um, when we were talking about hate crimes and sort of uh, what hate crimes are within Canada, but as well as how they should be applied or what we may see or what we may want uh, as reforms for hate crimes within Canada. Now, again, I hope you guys did enjoy today's episode. I hope you guys did learn something. Uh, I know I definitely learned something about researching about hate crimes, um, and, I, and I hope that this episode was informative as well. As always, I appreciate you guys taking some time out of your day to listen to the podcast and to the episode. Um, I, you know, it's, it's always uh, very nice uh, to have people that are listening, and so I'm very grateful for everyone that does take their time to listen. Um, as always, if you guys did enjoy today's episode, please remember to leave a five-star review uh, at uh, the rating for the podcast. It should be on the either the podcast homepage that you're listening to this from, or it'll be on the episode itself. Whatever it is, please find it and uh, rate this uh, you know podcast five stars. Uh, getting good ratings allows me to continue making episodes and for others to listen to the podcast as well. And on that note, if you did enjoy today's episode, please remember to share it with others. I'm sure if you enjoyed it, others would as well. And I'd also love to hear, you know, what other people have to say as well. And I'd love to, you know, possibly inform others and be more informative 
by educating others about what hate crimes are uh, within Canada. So please do consider uh, reaching out and you know sharing it with others as well. I always appreciate the support that you guys give me. Um, and as well as please check me out on Instagram. It's Muslims in Your Backyard. Um, I post a variety of other things as well as episode updates and general podcast updates on my Instagram page. And with that being said, as always, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and I appreciate you guys for listening. And I'll see you guys in two weeks from now where next week's episode we will be focusing on the online harms bill and I'll go into detail about what are some of the positives, what are some of the negatives, as well as what are some of the debates that are going on in relation to the online harms bill. It'll be uh, hopefully an exciting episode and again an informative one that'll sort of continue the discussion that we were having today. So please remember to go check out uh, the next episode two weeks from now. Um, but with that being said, Inshallah and Alafis will meet again.